in prayer this morning. And Lord, we are so thankful today that we do not worship the traditions of man or some image that has been put up. Or Lord, as so many people do, they worship the dead bodies of those that have claimed to be some great teacher or some great prophet. This morning we are here to worship the risen Lord, Jesus Christ, God the Son, and the Son of God. Lord, we ask that our worship in our singing, in the special, in the preaching, in the offering, in the time of invitation, that all would be acceptable in your sight and would bring honor and glory and would magnify you. Lord, we pray we'd leave this place with a greater understanding of how good and how great you really are. Help us, Lord, that we may love thee and that we may serve you through this coming week. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please remain standing for the last song. Let's take our Bibles and turn to the book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 11. And uh, if you look up on the walls, we've made many references this, to this this year. This is our theme for, uh, for the year. The just shall live by, what's that next word? His faith. There's got to be a personal faith between you and God for it to work. There's a lot of people who try to live by someone else's faith. And uh, I... Again, wish uh, I had a dollar for every time somebody, oh, my family's this or my, well, that doesn't work when you stand before God. It's got to be what your faith is. And that's part of our worship service is drawing near to God and understanding what our personal faith between us and God is about. And by the way, there's only one place to get the right kind of faith, and that's what's on the other side. Faith cometh by what? And hearing by the Word of God. And that's why the center of each of our services is preaching. It doesn't say faith cometh by reading. It says faith cometh by hearing. And hearing comes by the Word of God. And so we try to have the the preaching of the Word of God in every one of our services so that we can have faith. So that that faith can be personal. So it can be in my life, in my relationship between me and God. And Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 6 is a verse that's been referred to many times throughout the years in this pulpit. And this morning I just kind of want to start and use this verse as a as a uh, trail guide or a diving board, however you want to put it, a place to get started. Verse 6 says, But without faith, it is impossible to please Him, talking about God. For he that cometh to God must believe that He is, and that He is a rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. Verse 6, one more time, but without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Now, many people like to say, 
Well, we all believe in the same God. And I, I'd like to challenge you, that's, that's not true. Uh, there are gods that people worship that require human sacrifice. That's not in the Bible. Uh, there are gods that are interested in money. That's not the God of the Bible. All you got to do is turn on television. And the guy's there saying, if you'll just send us this or that. I remember years ago, uh, this would have been about 1986. I was traveling into New York City one of the first times with uh, Brother Clayton. It was about 2 o'clock in the morning. And we were driving over the Throgs Neck Bridge going out to Long Island. And, and if you've ever been across that bridge, uh, it was a clear night. The whole city was laid out over there as we were driving. And, and uh, it was very early in the morning. So it was running through the radio stations. And all of a sudden, it sounded like a preacher's voice came on. I said, oh, maybe I'll just, maybe this will keep me awake. And it was a preacher. His name was Shambach. Uh, emphasis on the first syllable, Sham. And... Uh, uh, that's American slang for a uh, trickster. Or a, uh, and anyway, he was there and he said, If you'll promise to send me half of whatever God blesses you with, I promise God will bless you. And I'm sitting there going, Wow, what a deal! What a rotten scoundrel! I, I am so glad today that as a preacher I can tell you that kind of Talking for God has nothing to do with this book called the Bible. That's not the God of the Bible. He's not interested in your money. Because if He has your heart, He's got your wallet. We only take one offering a week here at our church. And we do that on purpose. Because we don't want anyone walking through that door saying, All this church is about is money. We're not. Offerings are important. They pay the bills. It's part of our worship to God to give back to Him a little bit of what He's given to us. But I will tell you this. Our church isn't about money. It's about God. Because if we have things right with God, He takes care of the other things. Amen? You see, it's not all the same God. The Bible tells us that there are many gods in this world. What gets confusing is many of them have the same name. How many of you are old enough to remember the Beatles? Uh, I got one cure for Beatles. Amen. Uh, but anyway, not the human ones, of course. Uh, we, we, that's what you ought to do with the records. Um, but they, they believed in a Lord. In fact, they sang a song, My Sweet Lord. They recorded it twice. The second time in the background, they were chanting Hare Krishna. Now, if you're familiar with Indian religions, that is the name of one of the gurus or one of the Hindu leaders that claims to be Jesus Christ. Krishna is Christ, the Anointed One. There are many people who have claimed to be Jesus through the centuries. 
to be the anointed one, the messenger that God had sent. In fact, I'm not sure what the actual issue was, whether it was drugs, alcohol, or just plain uh, inanity. But uh, we had some uh, people out here on the steps doing things you ought not do on anybody's steps, let alone church steps. And uh, one of my sons said, Dad, somebody's out there doing bad stuff on church steps. So I opened the door. Oh, you can hear us. I said, yeah, we can hear you inside. And... The lady turns and says, my name is, and Vishnu, some, wasn't that. It was just made up some name. I'm an angel from heaven. And she said, this is my father's house. I said, not your father's house, not here. She says, you don't know who you're speaking to. I said, I really don't care. I said, but you need to get a little better manners on the church steps. Sorry about that. And, uh. She tried to tell me that she was an angel sent from God. And I know that's not true because angels don't do those things. You see, the world is full of people claiming to be God or God's messengers. The world's full of liars. May I say that? Well, I just did. And that that makes people mad. But you have to understand, this is in public school. Everybody can't be right. We stand before God. Only He is right. You see, the verse we just read said, Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Without faith. And we've quoted the verse. It's up here on the other side. Where faith comes from is the faith that pleases God comes from this book called the Bible. And it says that if you're going to approach unto God, there's two things that you have to do. Number one, you have to believe that He is. I've had a lot of people over the years as we've passed out tracks, I don't even believe in a God. I'm an atheist. One of my favorite stories, we were up on Steinway Street and uh, we were actually doing a gospel presentation on the street off side of our van and a lady walks up and says, I'm an atheist, trying to interrupt the meetings, thought she was going to be in. And, and I hope and pray that this was the Holy Spirit, not just the flesh. And I said, but are you an honest one? Just as loud so everybody could hear me. I said, I've never met an honest atheist. And she turns around and says, oh, I believe in God. How can you write this stuff? An atheist believes that there is no God. I questioned her honesty, and she proved my point, that she's not honest. Because there's no such thing as an honest atheist that believes in God. You can't do that. Atheism is dishonest. I met a guy the other day. Went Thursday night during church. He was out there playing Pokemon Go in front of the church during the service. And I said, there's no Pokemon monsters in front of this church. You're going to have to go somewhere else to find them. And he says, oh, I said, why don't you come in for the church service? He says, oh, I says, I'm an agnostic. I said, well, at least you're honest. An agnostic says he doesn't know. I said, but we can fix that if you come inside. And, uh, and so we, we want to understand something today 
If you're going to come to God, number one, you've got to believe that He is God. Have you ever thought about the name God, what it means, the title? If you look it up in a dictionary, it'll say the supreme being. But the world's full of little gods. The proper term in English is a demigod or a half god. Because the idea, the the definition of supreme being means that there, there can only be one. That's the definition. You can only have one supreme being. And that's what this book called the Bible teaches. Genesis 1.1 In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. God made them, everything that is. I do not believe in evolution. I'll challenge you, it takes more faith to believe in evolution than it does to believe in God. To believe in God is very simple. God, the supreme being, the creator, he is all-powerful, he's all-knowing. That's not very hard. Even a child can comprehend those things. But you know, you have to go to college and get an education to understand evolution. I like to say that kind of dumb doesn't come by accident. Somebody's got to help you. You've got to be trained to accept this stuff because it's, it, nothing makes sense. And so as we look at this verse, we say, But without faith it is impossible for he, to please him, for he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. And that's the title for this morning's message is, God is good. That's what it means, that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. You see, some people teach about a God who sits in heaven and is looking for an excuse to send you to hell, to keep you out of heaven. If you don't say the prayers in such a way or put enough money in the offering plate, if you're the least bit insincere, God is just waiting to rain thunder and lightning and fire and brimstone. That's not the God of the Bible. That's a lot more like the God of the witch doctor in tribal Africa. The God of the Aborigines. Uh, The Bible has a name for that God. We call him the devil. You see, he's the one that's waiting to trip you up. He's the one that is looking for any excuse to destroy you and wreak havoc, to have you lose your marriage, to have you lose your children, to have you lose every good thing about you. That's the devil's work. And, of course, that's why we call them witch doctors, because that's who they serve. The God of heaven is not like that. Here's what the Bible says. Let's go to John chapter 3. How many of you can quote with me John 3.16? Let's try it. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, 
that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. How many of you know what 1 John chapter 4, verse 8 says? He that loveth not knoweth not God, for God is love. Have you ever questioned why God loves the world? Why God loves us? Why God would do all of these things that He has done? Could I challenge you this morning that the answer is as simple as God is love. Therefore, being God, He must love us. You see, that's why the Bible says, except you be converted and become as little children, you cannot enter into the kingdom of God. You can't intellectualize God. You can't traditionalize Him. You can't put Him in a little box that you understand. God's a little bigger than that. Aren't you glad about that? Would you say amen? (coughs) Aren't you glad that God's love is based upon His character and His infinite goodness and not on human limitations that we have. You see, let's go to John chapter 3, if you would. And we want to look at God's love first. See, John chapter 3... Jesus was speaking to a a religious man. His name was Nicodemus. He's one of the Pharisees. I've told his story from this pulpit many, many, many times over the years. In fact, we have a little gospel track we hand out. Uh, How could a man be born when he is old? uh, Based upon this very passage of Scripture. And Jesus was talking to Nicodemus, and Nicodemus was trying to offer him a friendship, an olive branch, we might say. He was trying to reconcile the teachings of Jesus with those of the Bible and, and the tradition of the Jewish people at the time. And, and Nicodemus says in verse 3, he says, I mean, verse 2, he says, We know that thou art a teacher come from God, for no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. He said... Jesus, we know that you have come from God. And here's Jesus' answer. Verily, verily, he says, truly, truly, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now, did Jesus know to whom he was speaking? Nicodemus had Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy memorized. How many of you have ever memorized a whole book out of the Bible? There was a time when I could quote the book of James and 1 Peter. That still doesn't even come close to Genesis, let alone Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. I mean... That's crazy. No. You'd benefit to have all that Bible memorized. You really would. 
But it wasn't doing Nicodemus any good because he was trusting in his memorization instead of in Jesus as his Savior. And Jesus was saying, Nicodemus, you need to understand something. You need to be born again. He said, you were born once. You know what born once does? It makes you a member of the human race. Somebody once asked, how many races are there? One. It's the human race. Amen? Paul said that God has made us all of one blood. All the peoples, all the families of the earth. That's an amazing truth that's in the Bible. Took mankind thousands of years and still we have so many problems with prejudice and hatred. You know what? God can make you love other people. How it works is you get his love inside of you. Then you don't have a problem loving other people. But until you do that, and even after in some cases, you're going to have problems. But when you surrender to God's love, just like God loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, you too will love what God loves. Amen? But it's not a new effort. It's a new life. It's not a new resolve to change things and to be a better person. The Bible says it's being born again. It's a brand new life. People often ask, All those children yours? Yes. Every one of them. All twelve of them. Amen. Twins? No. One birth. One child. That, that's how it's always worked for us. No twins. No doubles. No, no, no easy way. Just one at a time. You know what? That's how it works with God. If you're going to be with God, you personally must be born again. You see, God in His love is trying to help us understand something. His plan of salvation teaches us how much God loves us. God has made it impossible for you to save yourself. You see, mankind has always had different levels. If you go to India, they have the caste system that is there. And you're born a slave or you're born a prince, and you never could change. Now, today, finally, they've broken down some of those rules. But in the day when our Bible was translated, the biggest argument they had in the early 1600s in England was something called the divine right of kings. That God has ordained us special people to be kings and he's ordained you to be my slaves. You know what? That's not in the Bible. God ordained himself to be the king. And he's asked all of us to be his servants. Don't you get tired of hearing about the smartest man in the room? Because it's never you. It's always somebody else. 
And I've met the smartest man in the room. And you know what I found out? He's not near as smart as he thinks he is. How about you? You know how you get promoted in this world? You get promoted to the level of incompetence. Isn't that true? Now, don't raise your hand. And, Andrew, you better keep your hand down. How many of you have a boss that proves that point, right? Uh, I mean, they've been promoted. They do a good job. Been promoted, do a good job. Been promoted, do a lousy job. And that's where you are for the rest of your life. You know, God doesn't do that. Because there's only one head, and that's Jesus Christ. You see, in His love for us, He's made us all equals. And we all come to God exactly the same way. And we all need exactly the same thing. I don't care if you've only sinned one sin in your entire life, or if you've sinned a thousand sins every day. You still need to get saved the same way. Because it's the same Jesus that saves us all. Someone said, well, you're making me equal with the worst person that's ever lived on earth. Yep. Because God loves us, He's going to destroy this thing called pride. You see, the Bible's not about you. It's all about Jesus. How many of you have ever found the freedom of living life that's not about me? Isn't that a wonderful thing? See, that's part of what Jesus said. When you know the Son, He'll make you free. To be free from yourself is one of the greatest freedoms you can experience in this world. That's how much God loved us. You see, the work of salvation is the work of God, not of man. See, when you were born, who did all the work? I love this question. Your mother did. Did you help your mother give birth to you? If I may borrow another phrase that Jesus used, I trow not. Uh, You did not give... If you did anything when you were born, it was to make things more difficult on your mother, not to make it easier. No baby has ever made birth easy. How many mothers would testify to that fact? All right. So, that's how God gave us birth. He did all the work. So it could be all about God and not about us. That's God's love. That's how God proved His love. And, and we go through this, ver- this chapter here. And... and Jesus talks about this in verses 5 and 6. He said, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. And if you're around our church very long, you'll hear me say, the Bible explains the Bible. Don't take a verse out of context. There's no baptism in verse 5. The water in verse 5 is explained in verse 6. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the Spirit is spirit. What's the last thing that happens? One of the last things that happens before a baby is born. Uh, the water breaks. Do you think Jesus knew that? Yeah, He created the womb that He was born in. Yes, He understood. That's what He's talking about. Just like you're born physically, 
You need to be born spiritually. Just like your mama did all the work when you were brought into the human race, so God must do all the work to bring you into his family. It's not of you. It's all of him. We get to verse 16 that we quoted a few minutes ago. For God so loved the world. How did he prove his love? He gave his son, Jesus, to die in our place. The best way I can explain it in the words of an old-time preacher, I believe it was uh, Harold Seitler in Greenville, uh, South Carolina, that said, The infinite God, who Jesus Christ is, suffered infinitely in one day on the cross that He could pay the price of all sins for all men forever. If you refuse what Jesus accomplished that day on the cross as the infinite God... You, as a finite person, will suffer infinitely forever in hell. It's a lot to think about. But you see, that's how God proved his love to us. Is Jesus came down and took upon him human flesh. Someone said, how could God be human? He can't. So he was two. At the same time. The best illustration I can give you is how many of you have ever, how many of you guys ever put a pencil in your fingers and went boom on the desk and broke the pencil? Am I the only guy that's ever done that? Maybe that's why I got arthritis in my fingers today. I don't know. But there's lots of guys that do that little trick. A pencil's easy to break. That's human nature. But if I took a, even a cheap steel rod and taped it up to that pencil, you'd be very foolish to try the same trick, now wouldn't you? Because as you slammed your hand down on a hard surface, the only thing that's breaking are bones and cartilage and tendons and things in your hand. It just makes me shiver to think about it. But that's the two natures that Jesus possessed. That's how God showed his love for us. And the Bible says here in in verse 17, For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but world but that the world through him might be saved. You see, God's not looking for an excuse to send you to hell. You're already on your way. You took care of that yourself. So many people are working hard to try to get to heaven, and the Bible says the only thing you're going to earn through your own works is God's judgment in hell forever. God's looking for an excuse to take you to heaven to be with him. That's why Jesus died on the cross. He paid for every sin. And all you have to do is believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. But could I challenge you today to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ? You've got to stop believing in your good works. You've got to stop believing in baptism. You've got to stop believing in your brain and your ability to comprehend things. You've got to stop believing in a church or some organization that will somehow elevate you to be pleasing unto God. You just have to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. It's that simple. 
see, how much did God love us? He loved us enough to make salvation unattainable so that all mankind had to get the same thing. He loved us enough to send Jesus Christ to die in our place and suffer in our stead to prove God's love and God's goodness. He loved us enough to prove there is no other way than Jesus Christ to get you to heaven. So where does baptism come into all this? Well, let's go over to Matthew chapter 3 for a minute. And this is the first place in the Bible that baptism is mentioned. You see, baptism is not salvation, my friend. Baptism can only come after you're saved. It's part of God's love for us. You see, baptism is my ability to tell people what Jesus has done in my life. That's what baptism is about. And see, Matthew chapter 3, we have this guy named John the Baptist showing up. And he's preaching, and here's his message. Repent ye, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. We had a different messenger. How many of you would like to have lunch with John the Baptist? His dinner consisted of locust and wild honey. I read an article years ago, says it was in a sporting catalog, says you're not a real man until you've eaten bugs says, I don't like that definition. Because that, that has nothing to do with manliness. You see, John the Baptist was a different preacher. He lived differently. He had a different message. Because God was trying to show that the traditions that had been developed by the Jewish people in the Old Testament were just simply traditions based upon the Bible and not the Bible themselves. There are so many religions today that are nothing but traditions. Uh, as we're fixing up the Union Baptist Church, I had a guy stop by. It's kind of interesting. You, you, you sit there, you're trying to work on saving the, the decaying building and the church and and everybody wants to come and help, but they want you to pay them. Now, we, we like help, but uh, uh, we, we prefer the kind that comes without strings attached. Amen? And he said, ah, one guy stopped and he said, hey, uh, you're, you're restoring the church. He said, do you have any old paintings or murals in the church that you'd like me to fix? And I took advantage of the opportunity. I said, this is a Baptist church. I said, we don't have those things. We don't, we don't need physical objects to worship God. I said, we don't want distractions. We want you to be understand that it's God and God alone that you worship. Can we say amen to that? He passed back, back again last week and 
started looking and started going through his spiel. He said, oh, I already talked to you. You don't do those things here. He said, yeah, that's right. We don't do those things here. He got the point. You see, baptism is not salvation. It's a testimony. When John the Baptist showed up, he said, repent for the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And people said, I repent. And John said, okay, come over here and let me get you wet. Does getting wet make you more repentant? No. It's a public testimony. You know what you were doing? You're saying, I agree with John about his opinion about me. I need to repent. I need to change my, my direction. And I want to go down on, I want to make a public record of the fact that I have changed my direction. That's what repentance is. How many of you remember when you got saved? You had to stop and change direction, didn't you? That's what the word repentance means. You stopped taking your sin to church and you took your sin to Jesus. Because he's the only one that can forgive sins. Amen? And so John came with a new message. It was a break from the past. Uh, if you read in uh, history books, theological books, they tried to make John's baptism just another Jewish ritual. It wasn't. It was very different. The Jewish washings you did to yourself under instruction from the rabbi. Baptism is different. Somebody has to do it to you. It's completely different. And when you got baptized, what you were doing was saying, I'm not looking to the temple anymore. I'm looking for the coming Messiah. That was John's message. Today... We're just a little different. We're down the road of history a little bit. And so instead of looking forward to the coming Messiah, we look back to the finished work of Jesus Christ. That's what baptism is. It's also identification. You know, when you got baptized by John the Baptist, you weren't friends with the Pharisees anymore. Uh, you weren't accepted in the council of the Sadducees anymore. Because you had given testimony, you were following that crazy preacher named John the Baptist. And you know, baptism is still the same today. It's a public testimony. That's all it is. It's saying that I have believed on the Lord Jesus Christ and He has saved me and given me a new life. It's saying that things are different now. It's a break with the past. And I'm identifying with Jesus and with his church. That's what baptism is all about. Let's go to Colossians chapter 1 if we can. You got 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, then Colossians. If you get to Thessalonians and Timothy, you've gone too far. But Colossians chapter 1, verse 14, talking about Jesus, it says, In whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins, who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature. 
For by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created by him and for him. And he is before all things and by him all things consist. And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. For it pleased the Father that in him should all fullness dwell. You see, God is good. He made salvation so simple. We all have to believe it the same way. He made it unattainable that we can't do it ourselves. He made it all His work and none of us. He's given us this thing called baptism so that we can have something we can look at to say, Hey, I'm no longer what I used to be. Baptism doesn't save you. You've got to be saved before you get baptized. But it's your public testimony. It's identification with Jesus. It's identification with His church. And that naturally leads us, how does the church fit in with the love of God? Well, it's real simple. You see, the church is His body. Now, if you pick up any theology book or just about any book today, they'll talk about this invisible universal body that goes all over the world and uh, not to uh, just pick on anybody in particular, but the Orthodox and the Roman Catholic Church, they take a little different view of that. They say, we're the only true church. And I would just challenge you today, pick up this book and read what's in here and then go down and ask your priest what he teaches and see if you can match the two up and you can't. Because what goes on there today is tradition, not Bible. What we want is Bible. You see, Jesus said, the church is my body. See, we believe that Jesus is the head of each individual local church. That each church is a complete body of Christ. That each church is a representation of what we will have one day in heaven so completely that if it were the only church that existed, everything would be intact. Some, someone was arguing the point and said, Well, you believe in one head with all these little bodies hanging off of it. No, 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 no. How far people go to try to make an excuse not to believe the Bible. Cannot Jesus treat each church exactly the same and be the head of each church individually and still allow us as a church to have individual responsibility to Christ directly? You see, that's simple, isn't it? And see, He is the head. Church is all about Jesus. See, what He gives us is He gives us an authority for baptism. That's why if someone comes here from another church that teaches different things, 
we say, listen, we're not here to pick an argument with you, but that church doesn't teach what our church teaches. It doesn't teach. what the And the Bible is the standard, not me, not Baptist. I don't have some little book that says this is Baptist doctrine. We use this book. That's why I am a Baptist, is because that's the only church I could go to that only used the Bible, nothing else. I didn't grow up that way. But as I like to say, I had no right to start my own as because Jesus had already started his. So I joined his church, actually as a sophomore in Bible college. A little late, but I still got there. Amen? And that authority is the person of Christ. The church is his body. And Christ has given us a place that when we get saved, we can grow in it. Let's look on what it says here. Verse 20, And having made peace through the blood of His cross, by Him to reconcile all things unto Himself. By Him, I say, whether they be things in earth or things in heaven. And you that were sometime alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now hath He reconciled in the body of His flesh through death to present you holy and unblameable and unreprovable in His sight. How many of you would say today, There's absolutely nothing in my life that is in disagreement with the Bible. I am living absolutely a perfect life. Now, my hand is not up because I couldn't say that. I'm just showing you if we have such a person in here that they could, what they should do to identify. And, of course, if you had the audacity to raise your hand and make that statement, we would at once charge you with another foolishness called lying. Amen? Because every one of us have things that we need to get straightened out. How many would say, Preacher, that's me. I've got some things that need some work on. Would you raise your hand and give a testimony to that? You see, that's what church is all about. It's an authority for us to be baptized by and to identify with. It's a place for us to grow and learn. Just like a newborn baby needs to be taken care of. You know, that's one of the reasons we love little babies is because they need to be taken care of. We love the Christmas story because Jesus is a little baby and needs to be taken care of. We don't like a risen Lord who tells us that what we're doing is wrong. But that is the Jesus of Bethlehem's manger. You see, He is the authority. And He's going to reconcile us. He's going to bring us into agreement with God. Wouldn't that be wonderful? If that were true of your life, that your life were in total agreement with God, could you ask for anything else? Would you want anything else? I'll tell you, I surely wouldn't. Because if I were in total agreement with God, I wouldn't need anything else, would you? But that takes a lifetime. You see, salvation is an event. It happens at a moment in time when you believe in Jesus. But God gives you the rest of your life to grow in Him and to learn. And that's where the church comes in. It's the nursery for the newborns. If we read down to verse 22, 
and 23, it says, If ye continue in the faith, grounded and settled, and be not moved away from the hope of the gospel which ye have heard. It's a place where you can learn and grow. We get down to verse 24. It says, Who now rejoice in my sufferings for you, and fill up that which is behind of the afflictions of Christ in my flesh for his body's sake, which is the church. Paul said, I've grown to the point to where I'm willing to suffer for the cause of Christ. You see, the church is the place where we hear the gospel. Amen. It's the authority by which we get baptized and serve Christ. It's the nursery for the newborns. It's the school for the unlearned. It's the society for the Christian to live his life. The way I like to put it is the church is the context for your Christianity. It's the place where you can live for Christ because he's never called you to live for him alone. I've met a lot of what I like to call Lone Ranger Christians over the years. They want to ride into town and fix everything and then ride out somewhere else. You know, the thing about the Lone Ranger is he's always in charge, wasn't he? You ever wonder why the Lone Ranger never got shot in the back? Because the scriptwriter didn't put it in. Amen? That's the only reason. You see, that doesn't work in real life. In real life, we don't need long rangers. We need parts of the body that work together to serve the Lord Jesus Christ. And you know what that makes me do? It makes me love other people. I love our church because we're made up of so many different backgrounds. Every discernible people group is represented in the membership of our church, just about. On a normal Sunday, we'll have five of the six inhabited continents in church. Australia is a little tough on this coast. But we've even had several from Australia and New Zealand visit our services over the years. But what I'm simply saying is, we go back to our first verse. Without faith, it's impossible to please Him. For he that cometh to God must believe that He is. And that He is the rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. What I've endeavored to do today in this sermon is... Simply prove how good God is in the things He has given us in His Word. How many of you can see God's goodness and God's love and salvation and God's plan of salvation? Amen? Can you see God's love in this thing that we call baptism? How simple it is. It is not your salvation. It's done according to the power of God's Word, the authority that's in this book. How many of you experienced God's love and God's goodness in the fellowship of this local church right here? Amen. See, we need to be thankful for those things. And we need to remember that God has given us those things so that we can serve Him together in His body, which is the local church.
And all God's people said. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you in prayer this morning. And we want to say thank you for your goodness and your love. And Lord, one simple sermon this morning is no way we could cover all of your love and all of your goodness. Lord, that would take a lifetime. Lord, we pray that you would give us the life that we have left to serve you together in the fellowship of this local church. We ask you to work in hearts and lives. Many raised their hands and said, Pastor, there's some things in my life that I want reconciled to God. Well, this is the place to get it done. And though it may take time, there's, there's a time to start, and that time would be right now. Lord, we pray that we would have the boldness and the humility to just come forward and spend some time at an altar and confess our sins to you and ask for your forgiveness, your restoration, and your work in our hearts and lives. Lord, we pray for those that may be here today that are not sure about their own salvation, that today would be the day when they would let someone take the Bible and help answer those questions that their faith may be based upon the words of God and in the God of the Word that they could know their sins are forgiven and their eternity is settled. Lord, we pray that you would work in our hearts and lives that we may honor and glorify you through this coming week. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As Andrew comes and leads us in the hymn of invitation, if you need to come and pray, the altar is open. If you're here today and you're not sure about your salvation, as you come, would you just look up this way and we'll have someone take the Bible and and answer your questions and show you what it means to trust Jesus as your Savior. As we sing.